Welcome to the NHRA Insider Podcast with Brian Loans. A huge explosion of fire for John Forrest. The car exploded going through the lights, and this is as bad a fire as we It's a countdown show with all kinds of great conversation. Tony Pedragon and Kevin McKenna joined to talk the last two races and what's coming. It's going to be Tim Wilkerson. Wilkerson goes 391-2. We're talking Reading. We're talking Drag Week. We're talking Charlotte. We're talking what's coming up in St. Louis. Perfect reaction time for Dallas Glenn. Triple zeros across the top of the time slip. And at the finish line stripe, it's Dallas Glenn. This is the NHRA Insider. It's Cruz Pentagon, 395.8, 324 miles an hour. A margin of victory of 26 ten thousandths of a second. Hey everybody, Brian Loans back here with the NHRA Insider Podcast after a bit of a break, and it has been a break that was, uh, well, brought on by drag racing. Uh, it's kind of funny to think about, but it, that is the fact. Um, I basically left the house on Wednesday before Reading, Pennsylvania, uh, called uh, some sportsman action on Thursday with Alan Reinhardt and Fabian Brown, and then, of course, did the broadcast over the course of that weekend, Tony Stewart in the booth on Sunday. I left Sunday night from Reading and went straight to Drag Week, at which we competed at St. Louis on Monday and then ran to Indy on Tuesday, went to Byron, Illinois Wednesday, went to Cordova Thursday, at which point I hooked an airplane back to Charlotte for our NHRA race weekend. So there was no availability for uh, for me to hop on the microphone here and, and do our thing with the NHRA Insider Podcast. But what that has done is brought up just a massive kind of vault, bank, uh, plethora, pile uh, however you want to describe it, a uh, load of stories. And those are stories we're going to be talking about today specifically with Tony Pedragon and Kevin McKenna, two guys who have done a really good job this year. and They, they work really well together in a back-and-forth environment, and I think you're really going to love uh, what they have to say later on in this show. But uh, I guess we got to start at the beginning here. The Reading, Pennsylvania race was amazing. I think that what we are seeing uh, so far in this countdown, uh, you know, that being the first race, is... You know, one of those scenarios where this is why the countdown's great. A lot of people still don't like it, but when we talk about what makes this countdown so interesting and this format so interesting, it is the likes of Austin Proc winning and all of a sudden going from the depths of uh, irrelevance almost, the depths of being so far out of it, nobody speaks about him. Uh, to a mid-pack player we see an Antron Brown going from the you know a a team on the rise winning in Topeka winning the U.S. Nationals and then all of a sudden going late rounds uh, almost pulling it off in Maple Grove or at Maple Grove Pennsylvania so the idea is that uh, we now have these two cars especially coming out of Reading that uh, reinserted themselves in the conversation some of the major you know, favorites and players dropped off. In other categories and classes, you have uh, Erica Anders, who began the countdown like she had a regular season with a win. Not too much surprise there. Joey Gladstone bouncing back from a very disappointing U.S. Nationals to take a victory and the points lead in Pro Stock Motorcycle, a class that we did not see run in Charlotte. They will pick it back up in St. Louis and, and basically run out the rest of the season with us. Um, so that's a great storyline. In a Nitro Funny Car, we had the uh, the Robert Height Show continued, as many of us perhaps expected it would, and that brought us to a Charlotte race that um, almost kind of flipped the table over on a lot of people. Um, Justin Ashley and Antron Brown continue to be, uh, in so many ways, the class of the top fuel field in this late moment in the season. We saw Brittany Forrest and Charlotte go out early, become very fiery about the fact that uh, they lost that round, and, and that's what we want to see, that passion, that drive, that uh, very visible... Uh, want and will to win 
Um, you know, when we talk about the Nitro Funny Car category in Charlotte, it's Ron Caps winning the race. It is Alexis DeJuria putting on the best driving uh, exhibition she has all year long. Dell and Nikki Bonifani tuning that car like a fiddle, making their way to a final round. And so that team all of a sudden, if not a championship contender at the moment, uh, has showed a massive um, increase in competitiveness. And we'll talk about some of the reasons why we think that is happening and what it could possibly mean. In Charlotte, of course, Erica shakes the tires against Matt Hartford in the semifinal. And in the final round, Aaron Stanfield goes on to beat Matt Hartford for the Wally and for a new breath of air for his championship hopes in pro stock. And, uh, you know, all of this is happening in such a tight window. These back-to-back-to-back races, um, to me, are are a fantastic way to start the countdown because we begin with some great momentum at Maple Grove, sellout crowds, beautiful weather, incredible conditions. We go to Charlotte, have incredible conditions. Uh, and actually, you know, in the, in the Charlotte uh, perspective, as massive as that place is, uh, and you maybe watched the show and thought, where is everybody? Well, there was actually, believe it or not, on Saturday, uh, the crowd was up significantly over where it has been in years past. Sunday was about what it normally is. And if we take that Charlotte crowd, which looks to be very sparse, and we place it in a, in a venue like Epping, New Hampshire, um, the narrative really changes. So as, uh, as thin as you may have seen it to be, and no, it was not anywhere near as big as the spring race is, uh, there was still a sizable amount of people that came out to hang out with us in Charlotte, and boy, did they get a show. That brings us to what will be St. Louis this coming weekend. And having just been there for Drag Week, it was fantastic. The track will be groomed uh, and tuned up to a T. Um, we've already been talking to Chris Blair, and he has said that Saturday is, is almost a pre-sold sellout in St. Louis. Friday and Sunday appear to be very strong as well. Friday conditions and Saturday conditions, even Sunday, are going to be just intergalactically good. We look at what Friday night qualifying is going to be at about 7 p.m., uh, at Madison, Illinois, Worldwide Technology Raceway. And it should be, could be, if not track record-setting weather, maybe national record-setting weather, weather in some categories. So uh, there is a lot, and I'm talking a lot to look forward to this weekend. And we get to see who may be able to punch their way back into a countdown championship format or a position. We get to see who uh, maintains their position. And we get to see if Antron Brown can do um, what we think he may be capable of doing, which is to effectively run his way even closer to the points lead, if not take it. He is barely, he's barely more than a round out of first place, which if we go back to this point in the season and say May or April or even June and start talking about Antron Brown being not only a competitor for or a, a contender for the championship, but at this point, maybe, I mean, maybe an odds on favorite the way the car is running. Um, you would have kind of laughed everybody out of the room. But mechanical changes made. The same personnel, the same experienced championship-level personnel have taken those mechanical gains they've made and turned them into uh, and turned them into victories in a very rapid fashion. So all of that is fantastic. I do want to touch on Drag Week for a moment before we get into uh, Kevin and Tony. And uh, Hot Rod Drag Week, for those of you unfamiliar, is an event that has spurred an entire genre of drag racing known as drag and drive events. Now, some people call it endurance drag racing, but drag and drive is kind of the the operative term for this this style of competition now. And effectively what it is, you go to the racetrack, you register for the event, you go through tech on Sunday afternoon, and then starting on Monday, the only thing you have is your race car and perhaps a small trailer behind it. And if you have a buddy in the passenger seat, that's basically it. And you have the camaraderie of fellow competitors. 
And these are not a collection of 10 and 11 second cars. Um, these are beyond that. These are cars that can run in the low sixes. And I'm talking cars like Tom Bailey's uh, sick Camaro 2.0 that he won the event with. Uh, we're talking about a guy uh, who shipped an S10 truck from Sweden with a turbocharged uh, LS combination that ran 660s all week. Another guy in a Corvette from Sweden also running 660s all week. A- Alex Taylor running low sevens. Bryant Goldstone in a, in a Javelin with a twin turbo big block running in the six second bracket. And they have to drive these cars on public roadways from race to race from track to track every single day. Usually their drives are a couple hundred miles. Um, usually the drives are arduous. You have, this year there were 337 cars that started. You have dozens of cars that can run in the nines. You have dozens of cars that could run in the eights, a multitude of cars in the sevens. And of course the six second bracket is really the rarefied air. And what this event does is it tests every element of a drag racer your ability to maintain the equipment on the road, your ability to maintain the equipment at the drag strip, your ability to push it just hard enough to keep it together, and your ability to diagnose and fix problems which would otherwise sideline other people uh, to keep going. Whether you're replacing pistons in a parking lot, whether you are rebuilding a rear end at a gas station, whether you are taking a transmission apart in your hotel room, Uh, These are all things that don't just happen um, every once in a while on Drag Week. They happen every day. We see people, uh, David Freiberger and I drive, announced the event, and Freiberger and I drive the route. And so we follow along and and kind of look at the storylines that are forming up, uh, how people are are suffering or how people are overcoming uh, various mechanical problems, the fatigue that sets in, and the, uh, the will to win is an amazing thing. It's an event that I've been involved with for many years. I did not go last year uh, for various scheduling reasons, but this year I was able to do it, and um, I hope I'm able to do it for a long time to come, as it is unlike anything else in drag racing. It is a great way to be reminded of just how hardcore, how hardcore the spirit of this sport is. I see it in the NHRA world on a weekly basis. And then it's just so much fun for me to dip out and see it in these other these other realms, whether it's uh, big dollar bracket racing or drag and drive or small tire outlaw pro mod racing. There are so many ways that you can experience this sport. And, you know, people say, don't you get tired of watching drag racing? Like, how could it possibly be interesting? And if if there were no human beings involved, I probably would get tired of it. But the reality is, it is a sport of human beings. So the same way I look at an Antron Brown, a Steve Torrance, a Justin Ashley, um, a Robert Height, a Ron Caps, I can look at a Tom Bailey in his own genre. I can look at a Brian Goldstone, an Alex Taylor. I can look at these people in that same way. And, you know, it's like, oh, you put some of these people on a pedestal and some don't. But the reality is, internally, those people all share the same thing. And that internal desire to compete and win is what makes this sport so compelling to me as much as it is about the cars and boy do i love cars you, you guys and girls know that i would spend hours and hours just talking about cars if if uh, <laughs> if given the opportunity but it is so much more than that it is the human element and whether that is watching alexis DeJoria find herself find a spot on the christmas tree that she could live in over the course of an elimination day on sunday a place where she normally isn't um and then she does it repeatedly that is a spectacular storyline for me to follow it it is it makes me lean forward and, and stare out the window with even more depth um, when I'm able to watch these drag and drive competitors suffer and try to run in the sixes and break stuff and rebuild stuff overnight and come back and overcome. And it is 
it is in so many ways the same thing, just in a different style or a different arena. And so it's been great. I, I did 11 days straight announcing at a drag strip. Um, over the course of those 11 days, I went to uh, six different drag strips. And so, you know, the other side of it for me is a bit of that nostalgic feeling, um, maybe a, maybe misplaced, but a bit of that nostalgic feeling of the old old barnstorming announcers from back in the day, the John Lundbergs of the world, Brett Kepner's of the world, that would be just daisy chaining. Um, events and races and series together to uh, to keep things going and they would you know they would do the same thing I just did but they would do it multiple times a year and uh, it's cool to get a taste of that it's cool to get a taste of that to what it feels like to roll into a drag strip on a Tuesday morning or a Wednesday morning Um, it's just a really really neat thing so there is my diatribe on some of that stuff. The meat of this show, of course, is going to be a conversation with both Kevin McKenna and Tony Pedragon. We're going to touch on a lot of stuff here. Uh, some of the stuff is fairly controversial. Some of the stuff is about what you'd expect. But uh, some great takes from these guys. They they always have something cool to say. You may not always agree with it, but that is the great part of this platform and the great part of this sport. Just because you disagree doesn't mean your opinion's right, their opinion's right. It is about having a take. It's about believing in that take, and it's about kind of working through the reasons you have to feel the way you do. So um, without further ado, here is our conversation between myself, Kevin McKenna, the senior editor of NHRA's National Dragster, and Tony Pedragon, my right-hand man and the NHRA analyst on Fox. Listen up. First off, how are we doing, boys? Yeah, all all good. Nice to uh, meet with you guys again. And this, we have a lot to talk about. Obviously, this Charlotte race was was unbelievable. I think um, I want to start in pro stock, and, and we'll work our way up toward top fuel. But I think, Tony Pedregon, when we talk about the pro stock category this weekend, uh, the big surprise was Erica not winning, right? I mean, I think that was probably the biggest shocker out of the whole thing. Yeah, you know, and I, I'm not sure what, uh, you know, of course, the car shook. It was early, and, you know, she really beat herself. But if you look at everyone else's performance, you look at Matt Hartford going into that round, you know, they've, they've closed the gap, and that's good news. It's good news for them anyway. Um, you know, she still does what she does on the starting line. She's still hard to beat. She's still the, the one to beat. But they've just, you know, they've got a, a step on everyone. And as long as they're able to maintain that performance, unless, you know, unless KB, any of their cars can, you know, can find a little bit more performance going into this stretch, um, you know, I, I hear some singing in the background. But it's, you know, it's not over. I mean, it's. We're two races down. There's four to go, and you know there's a little bit of uh, a room for somebody to to make a move still. You know, Kevin, we saw Greg Anderson suffer his eighth hole shot loss of the season, and it's almost it's it's painful for me to say it. I can't imagine what it is for him to feel it, but it is. It, it's been tough sliding for him this year, and and most of them have not come on really embarrassing lights, but they've just been mediocre lights that have been gotten just buried by other racers. Yeah, and and Greg knows that he he's brought it up multiple times that. You know, typically his lights are in the 30 to 40 range, and some days that's good enough, but more often than not, it's not. You know, you you need to be teens or better to really consistently win rounds uh, in pro stock, and and that's assuming you have the car to to do it. Um, You know, you look at Erica, yeah, she she had a real chance to, to just put a hammer lock on this thing. She had a 19 light the round she lost, so there's a really good chance that, uh, She's going to beat Matt Harford if the car makes a clean run. Um, if that happens, you know, she's probably got over 100 points. So, um, you know, it's this deal is, I wouldn't call it wide open. I mean, the, the door is still open, but 
somebody's going to have to kick on it awful hard. Yeah, I'm not going to ask you the same question. I'm going to ask you first, and then the same question for Tony. But when do when do we start seeing the the hookem game and the ladder manipulation here? Because obviously it's been a t- it's been a story for in pro stock for like the last race of the season. But at this point, to me, unless you don't start, unless you start trying now, you're you're pretty much up the creek. Yeah, that, that, that's a valid question. Uh, I'm not sure when. You know, th- th- that's such a a high risk strategy that could easily backfire. Um, I, I don't think I would do it this week in St. Louis because uh, honestly, if you look at somebody like Greg, straight up, if, if he wins the last three races or last four races, uh, he's probably going to win the championship. You, you know, he, as unlikely as that might seem, you know, it, he still has his destiny in his own hands. Uh, I think I think you do that more as a desperation move when you have a uh, few options left. Um, you know, right now, I think you know even if he were to race Erica in the final and beat her, he's close enough that, that he could make a run at it the, the last half of the countdown. But uh, yeah, it, it's uh, certainly at some point we're going to see that strategy employed. Tony, well, I think the question for me is is you look at you look at the KB. We're talking the cars that are con- in contention, the drivers that are competing. And, and let's let's take a look and break down these sponsors here and the drivers and the and the owners. Okay, so the owner is Elite. The owner is KB. Okay, these, those are Ken Black cars. Kenny Koretsky sponsors one of them. I know Kenny well, and you're not going to go to him and say, we want you to lay down. Because I can tell you what the answer is going to be. The answer is going to be, I have a sizable investment here. We're going to race. Um, did you say the same about Dallas Glenn? I, I, ha- I just haven't seen it. On the elite side, we're just really looking at a driver and Troy Coffin Jr. that said, look, I'm going to do whatever I have to, to to push this one car. Now, I'm hoping that changes because that was the Troy Coughlin Jr. then. Yeah. This is this is a new Troy Coughlin Jr., so I think that's going to be interesting. I, I hope that it's hard for the the um, the team for the for the car owner to say, well, boys, this is what we need to do. It might be supported by one driver, but I, again, I'm hoping that changes, that car is competitive. I hope at some point the sponsors are there and say, look, we come here to race. And if you want to know about racing, you go ask Connie Coletta. You go ask Sean Langdon and Doug Coletta because they showed us, they showed everyone how it's done. Yeah, I mean those guys. Those guys ran their guts out against each other, you know, in the first round. And you know, uh, well, we did not have the pro stock motorcycles at um, with us last weekend in Charlotte. We will have them back in St. Louis. And you know, to me, when we look at the way that the weather's shaping up for this event, it is going to be very, very fast. And when we talk about very fast conditions, Kevin, I, I think we always tend to migrate the conversation toward Matt Smith, but. Um, Obviously, Gladstone's in the points lead right now, but when we talk about these type of conditions, Matt Smith always seems to deliver in them. He, he does, um, but you have to look at what's the quickest motorcycle in the sport right now. It's still Karen Stouffer. True. Uh, and and it's in conditions that might be similar to what you see this weekend in St. Louis. Uh, you know, I think what we've seen all year is cer- certain teams get get a good handle on their combination, but don't keep it for long. Uh, it, it's maybe very sensitive to particular weather conditions or something. You know, Steve Johnson had his run. He tailed off. Karen Stouffer had hers. The Vance and Hines bikes. So uh, it's hard to say who might come to St. Louis this week with the best package. Uh, you know, typically it's Matt Smith because he rarely shows up, uh, actually almost never shows up with an uncompetitive bike. Um, 
and and I think he he certainly is the championship favorite at this point. But is it possible that somebody, maybe even someone down the field, sixth, seventh in points, um, turns it up a notch this week? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I also want to go backtrack here a second uh, to Tony's point regarding Troy Coughlin Jr. Uh, I think Troy learned a lot from that episode last year. Yeah, I think I, I think you know he there was some backlash that he didn't appreciate. Uh, I also think looking ahead, you know, that is a car that is in search of sponsorship for next year. We, we know that it will not be yellow and black. Um, you know, I, I think they're they're currently courting some companies right now, and in order to do that, I, I think you you need to to be a bit more straightforward. And I, I think that. Uh, Lesson learned, and I would expect and hope that uh, we don't see any of that out of them going forward. Yeah, I agree. And, and you know, Tony, to, to Kevin's point, you know, we talked about these bikes that have kind of risen and then fallen off. Now, the one guy who's bucked that trend is Joey Gladstone. So when we talk about the, the Maple Grove race, the last time we saw the bikes and Joey kind of rebounding after what was a pretty disappointing Indy, um, he's the one guy that's kind of put the brakes on a, a skid, so to speak, in, in these bikes. Yeah, Joey is among the group of, I would say, elite drivers or riders, the best riders in the class. Uh, you know, he's up there. You could argue Matt Smith. You know, Eddie Craywick is usually pretty solid, but it sure was odd to see him, you know, get bounced by that whole shot. You know, a 70 reaction time on a bike, you know, that's not good. But I still think that, that he can be there. Angel has the machine. She has had the machine. She continues to have it. And it just slips away on the starting line. So, you know, you saw those similar problems with the Lexus. And so there is a way. And, and I know she has, you know, some people in her corner. And if that's what it takes, then, you know, the more power to them. You know, it takes a little soul searching. It takes the right being surrounded by the right people telling you the right stuff. And, and then you finding, you know, some kind of peace and some level of confidence within yourself. But Joey is... You know, when he qualified eighth, I thought, mm, "Good luck." You know, he's on he's on Matt's, he's on Matt's side of the ladder, right? But but again, he's he does his job on the starting line. His mechanics, his technique, everything that he does is solid. It, it doesn't you know it does he doesn't deviate. You can almost count on this guy on the bike and on the starting line, and and because he does that so well. Um, you know, he found just enough to win a close race. And once, once he beat Matt Smith in the second round, it just seemed like, well, Joey's probably the guy that's going to, going to win the race. So that's, he's got something special. There's a couple of other guys that have one or the other, but you know, it's, it seems like it's him and Matt Smith, unless, unless somebody's going to get it together, like real quick. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And you brought up Alexis Ona transition into Nitro Funny Car. And, you know, Kevin uh, and, and Tony, you alluded to it, but Frank Hawley's been working with, uh, you know, been working with Alexis uh, kind of behind the scenes here. And um, we saw what the potential of that car is fully actualized last weekend. We saw a driver that was hitting her licks in the 70s and low 80s in reaction time. We saw a car that was living in the high 80s. Is this a situation, Kevin? Is this a Mike Salinas-style situation? Could we be seeing the beginning of something of a, of a turnaround for Alexis in terms of her acumen on the starting line like we saw out of Salinas? Yeah, it, it might well be. I think that's, that's a fair comparison, although uh, Alexis certainly has more driving experience uh, than Mike Salinas did when he came to Top Fuel. You know, you have to remember, she, she, she won a super comp race, yeah. which to me merits respect. You know, they don't just give those out. Uh, and, and she won in her alcohol funny car. So she can do this. She can do it at a high level. Um, I think sometimes 
you just lose your focus a little. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's kind of a little bit of what we've seen with Angel, where uh, it, it sort of becomes a, a, a bit of a depreciating cycle where, you know, one round loss affects you for the next one, and then sure. it, it's kind of a cum- cumulative effect. But uh, I think all it really takes is one good race, uh, as she had there in Charlotte, uh, you know, that, that maybe I would assume now Alexis is going to show up in St. Louis with probably more confidence than she's had all year. And, you know, that might very well play out into, uh, you know, more good lights, more success, more round wins. And, you know, I, I don't know if I would go so far as to say she's still in the championship battle. I, I think right. 129, no, I Logically, I yeah. think 129 points is a, is a big mountain decline. Not so much the number, but I think you've got to, you know, you've got five people you'd have to pass. But uh, could she make a run at, at top three, top four? I think a- absolutely. You know, if she were to go to the final or, or even win St. Louis, it, it's game on from that point. You know, Tony, does this does that one performance, and, and it wasn't one performance, it was a string of performances on the same day, change the way other people look at this race car? I mean, it was impressive for me to watch, and it was it was the, the things that we know that car can do, meaning we know Dell and Nikki can get it down into a competitive elapsed time in, the, in any conditions they're put in, but then we see her kind of rise to the occasion. Does anybody give this thing a second glance again? They have to. They have to. And, you know, I, I think in funny car... And, and I think it showed this past weekend that, you know, as good as Robert Height has been, he's having a career year. He's probably going to win at least one, if not two more. And, and if he can do that, that's that's going to be a problem. But there are there are still five or six other cars that have the same chance. And when you look at Lexus, I mean, let's break down the car. The car has been pretty good. It just it got better. But for, for a driver's, you know, confidence – and, and for Alexis, she's she's really got to look back at this race. Yes. And say, look, I beat J.R. Todd. It, you know, you didn't you didn't get a duck in the first round. You had a lower qualified car. She left with him. I mean, he got he almost he got about fifteen hundredths of a second on the starting line. But your car was good enough. He slipped up. But you went toe to toe with Robert Height. Now, Robert would typically have a slower, a better reaction time than an eighty four. She had an 80, so she beat him toe-to-toe, and they, they both had a little issue at the finish line, but she was going to win that race. And then she went toe-to-toe with Matt Hagen. She had a 72. He had a 68. You know, and, and she slowed down a little bit in the final, but, you know, to get past those drivers, you really have to look at yourself and say, I guess I had it all along. You know, yep. this is this is the Wizard of Oz, Brian, that I, I started <laughs> telling you about last year. <laughs> and it's going to come up again. But, you know, pretty amazing, pretty impressive. She has it. She's a good driver. She's a solid driver. And she has a good car. And, you know, it's not too late for them to mix it up. Uh, look at what look at what Antron did, even though he had a semifinal finish. Uh, but Austin Proc, and, you know, he, he had a real good race. He had a, you know, he had a not-so-good race. But... You know, with four races, it's not like it's the second or the last race. You know, right now, they can go to the next race, and then after this next race, then they can think about it. Then they can talk, you know, points and strategy and and decompress. But, you know, right now, she's in the thick of things, and and it was a great race for her. She's got a good car, and, you know, she made quite the rebound. 
Yeah, and listen, this is a place, uh, you know, coming into St. Louis, I think the timing-wise, it couldn't be better for her to go back-to-back like this and maybe try to try to keep herself in that same mindset. Um, I want to talk to you, Tony, too, about this Toyota body because we saw Caps have a pretty good backfire and a pretty good, you know, pretty good fiery explosion, if you will, on uh, final qualifying, and they were able to use the same body the next day. I think this thing is, we have seen this thing now take a couple of pretty good blasts, and uh, they seem to be holding up very well. Yeah, I think that's a big credit to the engineers, you know, for anybody who says, oh, it's not a Toyota. Yeah, we know that. <laughs> we know that. But for cry out loud, if they only knew, if they call themselves fans, and we appreciate them tuning in, but, you know, don't knock it. You know, the fact that Toyota's here, if Subaru was here, I would like Subaru. Yeah. For crying out loud, let's be thankful that we can wake up in the morning and see a Dodge, a Ford, a Chevy, and a Toyota. But if you really think about it, you know, that is the most, recently engineered body that is is on the racetrack and you know it's been ford and then dodge kind of had a response to ford and then chevy and and you know so it continues they continue to push one another and i think i think what toyota has done is you know they've made they've made the body better in those areas i I think that some of the other manufacturers would probably like to go back and say wow we could have done this a little better but it's all in the structure and of course the burst panels relieve all the pressure when something happens but i was blown away that they were able to use that same body because most of the time when it doesn't look bad um you know that it's fractured the body and the fact that they were able to reuse it means that the engineering was there as well as the relief when the engine blew so pretty impressive it is, and, and Kevin, on the same kind of subject. I mean, um, not that it was a not that it was a big risk, but what a uh, what a stroke of of genius for Toyota to scoop up Ron Caps when uh, when he came up kind of in this situation, and he has been there. I mean, he's been the, he was the last guy in the ring, but he's been the lead man for them this year. No, and you could tell uh, even before he announced it how, how excited Ron was uh, to, to be making that switch and be part of it. And, you know, and, and as Tony just said. How, how could you possibly be mad at Toyota for investing millions of dollars <laughs> right. in your sport? Uh, you know, it would be cool if they had a pro stock car out there. I'd love to see that. But the fact that they do what they can as far as not just supporting NHRA, they're putting money into teams that, that keep them out here. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I can't think of too many companies right now that have a bigger investment. And look, you know, Ron is the Ron's the guy who loves to, uh, you know, we've we've seen it on dot com, we've seen other places, the bulletin board material type stuff. He um he likes to apply it in a very, I think, positive way, like a good a good team leader or coach would. And so, how do we talk about Ron in this scenario right now? Do we talk about him as the Do we talk about him as the the odds on favorite because he's won this race? Do we talk about him as the guy we should think is the second guy, the third guy? Where do you put him in the ranking, Kevin? Well, you, you, you better because if you don't, you're going to get backlash, as we've seen. <laughs> uh, I, I, I think now it's th- three times this year we've included uh, Ron on NHRA.com in the uh, the five things we learned from, which comes out every Monday after an event. Uh, so I, I'm grateful that he reads it. But uh, if um, if you don't give him proper credit, uh, he, he's going to let you know, which actually I think is awesome. Yeah. Um, but, but, yeah, it, there, there have been – uh, three instances this year where I think it, we sort of, I won't say had him written off, but, but you know, looked at him as not one of the favorites, and uh, he vehemently disagreed and said, no, I'm in this thing till the end. I'm going to be. Uh, don't, you know, don't count me out. And as I sit here today, he is 27 points out of first place. 
which is, you know, essentially one round and a few qualifying points. So, so, so yeah, I think at, at this point, um, unless something goes really sideways the last uh, three, four races of the year, you, you better keep him in that conversation. Tony, kind of same take. Are we going to see three guys come into Pomona with a legitimate chance to win this thing? I think at least three. I'm here cracking up because, you know, I'm pretty far removed from the seat. It's It's been a long time. And it, it's been a while, even when I was racing, that I had a competitive car to compete with Ron. But, you know, we had our days. We had our moments. And uh, it's funny he hasn't changed. I, I didn't know that about him. But I look at Ron as, as, uh, as the defending champion. And, and I did apologize, I apologized on the show to him, to Toyota, to Napa, because we talked so much about Robert Height. I've made a, I made a couple of comments that Robert Height's the guy to go through. But, but respectfully, it should be the defending champion is the guy you have to knock off the pedestal. And the big players show up for the big moments, and this team has done it once again. You know, Ron, Ron does an exceptional job. And, and if, you look at, if you look at his team, they've been working together for a while. Yeah. And, you know, when DSR, when there was some changes and mix-ups there, um, that was, those were really, that, that was the tuner uh, trio, or rather duo, that, that Don stuck with. You know, so when Don Schumacher was making changes and and that car stayed, Don said, I'm keeping those guys. Yeah. You know, and he had, <laughs> he had Collins. I mean, he had options, right? Sure. So... So that that really should tell you something. That should tell you that that these guys are good, and and I know them both very well, and and they're just so good together. Uh, and and you know, so are a few other teams out there. But you know, it, it just this guy shows up, and when we really didn't think we we really thought, you know, Tasca coming in and Height and and Hagen, and well. Don't forget about Ron, and he's kind of made everyone aware that you shouldn't have forgot about him. But I still think, you know, Tasca, if you go back and look at the, the two runs on Saturday, he had quick time. That car just kind of is unpredictable on the starting line. It blows the tires off. But um, I, I think there's easily, easily going to be four and maybe five, maybe even six going into the last race. And look, to, to make that come to fruition, we're going to need to see some heroics out of some teams, and, and that kind of leads us naturally into Top Fuel, where the countdown has been nothing but heroics coming out of some teams. And, you know, some of those funny car, car uh, drivers that want to get back in this thing need need to look no further than, than the Top Fuel category. Uh, you know, the Antron story is incredible. I want to get to that in a minute. Uh, let's just go right into the elephant in the room here. Let's talk first round. Let's talk the fact that it's really the first time in many years we have seen the Capco team make a conscious decision to use their team cars to their advantage. Tony, you and I talked about it on the show, so let's let's lead off with you. Um, have your impressions changed since the moment we talked about it on the show, looking back in retrospect? No, it's a little confusing to me because Billy is the guy, and it, and it was it was so admirable that – it wasn't long ago that that they've they've really put on some good bases. So so let me start here. They've they've got money in the bank. Okay. Yeah. So so what that means is there are some teams, and this is this is such a muddy subject, but we have to talk about it. And and, and why it is our job to talk about it? I don't know. I, I mean, Brian, you and I are probably <laughs> the ones that get beat up. Yeah, we do. But you know, there's there's a team owner, right? They're team owners, and he's tied in with sponsors. Then there's your spectator, okay? And then there's NHRA. So so there's there's a lot of parties here that that are looking for, you know, looking for a, appeasement, okay? But it was a surprise to me because Billy Torrance is the one that said, look, if I just give it to him, 
and I've taught him nothing. Okay, I'll never forget that. I, I just thought that was such a noble thing. They put on some pretty impressive races. Okay, so I'm going to give it, because I, I read a little bit of social media, and I have a few jabronis that are writing in saying, hey, well, what about that? You know, well, what about that? I challenge them <laughs> to have this debate on NHRA.com, and I haven't heard of not from a one damn one of them. Okay, so what's up with that? But I think it was a little bit of a disappointment. And it's funny because you and I have said, then what's the point? If somebody's just going to go out there yes. and, and have a real slow reaction time and just, just take a dive, like a swan dive in front of the crowd, we've said, so why even show up? Well, I didn't think they'd take it seriously. They didn't show up. <laughs> they didn't show up to the damn starting line. So, you know, I don't I don't know what to tell you. I, You know my take. And here's, yeah. here's where I'm coming from because – because I've really been on every side of the fence here. Okay, I'm still I'm a spectator. I'm a fan. Um, I'm I'm tied in with NHRA. I I report to NHRA, and and I don't have to be careful what I say because I've made my position very uh, very vocal on this subject. I've also been a hired driver. I've also been a team owner. Okay, so I think I have a very good understanding of every aspect of of team racing. But I got to just tell you, I'll just I'll summarize it in this: it's not a good thing that's happening in this sport, especially at, at the most important time, at the peak of, of drama for this sport yeah. in terms of entertainment. It's just not a good thing. So how do we fix it? How do we address it? I don't know. I know NHRA probably has their hands full with it, but I just don't understand why why you wouldn't show up and 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 make the car go 300 feet. I mean, for crying out loud, if you ever wanted to try to run a 361, try it. Right. And, and I'm just going to leave with this. I'm just going to leave with this. It may not matter, guys. It may not matter because there's a couple of single car teams out there that are running the table. Yeah. And and those are the ones Those are the ones you got to deal with. So, so blocking and top fuel, while it is a dirty subject, um, it may not have any consequence on the guys that might want win the championship. Kevin, what's your take? Well, you, you, I mean, hard to add much more to what Tony just said, but but there are a couple things. Um, number one, when you look at the bigger picture, it's fairly well known out there that NHRA is uh, pretty deep into discussions about having legalized sports betting on the Camping World Drag Racing Series. Yeah. Uh, it, it, we know that it's it's likely coming next year. This is the sort of thing that could potentially torpedo that. So you, you've got to find a way to, to address it, nip it in the bud, and, and fix it before you can go forward with that. So, so that's, you know, again, we're talking about the growth and overall well-being of the sport, which, which should certainly trump um, any, any sort of team wants or needs. Um, and secondly, I just think if, if you have to do this sort of thing, and I know it goes on, um, it should just, as, as Tony said, make it a little less obvious. You know, I, I know, you know, years and years ago, her first year in Pro Stock Motorcycle, uh, Angel did something similar for her then teammate, John Myers. Uh, she didn't go to the starting line in Topeka, and that decision has haunted her for most of her career. Wow. She was young. She was young. She didn't know. You know, and, and, and the fans took it very personally. She was booed. I think it was the first time she was booed. And, and it, it was it was a wake-up call for her to say, wow, I really shouldn't have done it. You know, even though the decision wasn't in her hands, she shouldn't have done it. Um, so, I, I mean, I like what Tony just said. Try to make the car go 361. 
if it somehow does it, <laughs> deal with the if, if, if it somehow does it, deal deal with the deal with the consequences. If not, you've accomplished your objective, and ninety percent of the people wouldn't be the wiser for it. Yeah, and, and look, I think um, I think it's it's this separation. You, you you can take the the purely logical surgical approach and go. I know exactly why they did it. There's no there's no get two ways around why they did it. It makes sense, right? It makes sense on the black and white on paper math program. It stops making sense when we when we insert our you know passion for the sport, our our need and want for you know the the integrity of the sport and all that other stuff, and. Obviously, there's no rule against it. Um, they they did what they. Well, no, there, is, there, there is a rule. Well, against there is. A, there, you're right. There is a rule against it. But and then and then even that one, we could even go down the road on that. So yeah. So did they manipulate the race by not actually having the race because there wasn't a race to be manipulated, really? Well, yeah, but that's yeah, what, it, that's that's the whole nature of the thing. Yeah. <laughs> And there lies the problem: is there is a rule. You know, people say, "Oh, where's where's it in the rule book?" <laughs> it's in the rule book, but freaking page fifteen or whatever page it's on. I'm just making that up. But you know, that's that. And, and this is different than it used to be. I mean, the rule the rule's been in place um, for a while now. And and you know, there was a time <clears throat> early early mid two thousands where there, there wasn't a rule in, in place, but it became so egregious, it became so uh, so awful and so blatant. That NHRA said, we better put a rule in the book. And you guys know why. You just go back to 2009. Yeah. You know, and, and that's, you know, it's changed. The game has changed since then. And that's, you know, that's why this is such a, uh, it, this could be such a heated topic. And, and the last point I'll mean? make is, is the thing that maybe says the most about all this is that it's the first time they've ever felt the need that they had to do it. And, to me, that speaks to the vault. That obviously, it speaks to the level of competition. It speaks to their their level of um, I'm going to say concern as to where they are and, and what they need to do to go forward. But you know, the bottom line is, I think you know the reason we we've seen so many great late season races between Billy and Steve over the course of the last half decade or more is because they knew that they were going to win either way, so to speak. You know, they, they didn't feel the need that they had to do something over above and beyond to get ahead. And, and to me, that just speaks maybe the loudest volume of all. Yeah, for sure. And, and, and back, you know, Tony says this goes back to 2009. It actually goes back much, much further than that. Uh, you could look at the 1970 Gainesville final and the shenanigans that went on there in Funny Car. You could look at, I believe it was 1983, the famous Gary Beck, Larry Minor race, where, where Larry tried to give it to him. <laughs> he tried to lose. And, 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 and here, here's where I don't like the double standard, that, yeah, he tried to lose, and people look back at that as kind of this uh, historic moment in drag racing. Well, uh, why don't you apply the same rule that, that we're debating right now? Oh, absolutely. He did, he, he did something he shouldn't have. You know, and, and that, at the time, uh, Gary Beck had undoubtedly the best car in the sport, was going to win the championship almost in a landslide. And, and this was like at mid-season this happened. I believe Baton Rouge. So, uh, like, again, my, my question is why? When, when you have all the tools you need to succeed without any of this, don't do it. it, it it's really pretty simple. Yeah, and, and listen, moving on to moving on and staying in the top fuel category, I mean, we should briefly touch on the fact that the, the Coletta team did the exact opposite of what we're talking about right now. And to go to you, Tony, I think the reason is uh, DHL and Mac Tools and everybody else involved in those cars expects them to both show up in the first round and go as fast as they possibly can, no matter who's in the other lane. Yeah, bingo. And, and that's why, I mean, it was such a surprise because 
you know, we see the pattern. Doug, Doug has gotten considerably better. <clears throat> it's, you know, they've, they've started to really find the range and, you know, they're higher up in the points. And I just, I thought, well, there's going to be a bunch of tire smoke coming off of Sean's car. And he had an 049, I got a 58. So both drivers were, were right on their mark on schedule. And it's like, I'm, I'm thinking at half track, wow, this car is, uh, has a smoke of tires in it. If he doesn't smoke of tires by half track, it's probably not going to happen. But it's just such an impressive spectacle, such a surprising race, the way it is supposed to be done. You know, and when we talk about that stuff, that's why I, I just, you know, it gives me a new level of respect for Sean, for Doug, for the guys that set those cars up for the tuners, and for Connie. And, and, and you know, they I have my respect anyway, but it just it, it goes to another level. And and um, and I think the reason that we're talking so much about this is we can see this happening in in each of the four categories. Yeah. And you know it's not good, guys. It's just it's not like it's just well in pro stock bike. No, it's bike and pro stock and maybe not necessarily funny car, but maybe. And well, we saw it in top fuel, so you know it's it's a problem. But hey, I uh, got to give it to those Coletta guys. Yeah, but but Tony, you got to ask yourself if if John Langdon and Doug Collider were, you know, if one of them was second in points and the other was ninth or tenth, would the outcome of that race have been different? And, and I will hit you with more of a history lesson. There was a time when Connie Collider did not go to the starting line to race Scott because Scott was leading the championship. And when asked, typical Connie said, well, I own both of the damn cars, so I'm going to do what I want. And, and, and again, we're, we're looking at a double standard here where people – Think, oh, Connie's my hero for doing that. But again, that 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 was a line that should not have been crossed then or now. Oh, look, the famous Kurt Johnson thing, right? Kurt Johnson, you know, took one there, in the went in the tanks for his father and goes up the return road holding a sign that says, "Well, at least I still have a job." You know, so again, to your point, Kevin, it is a, it is a moving uh, bar that we place on this whole thing. And for some reason, when it happened five or ten years ago, we look back at it and chuckle. But when it happens three days ago, we look back on it and it spit on the ground. So, and I'm not saying that's Back. wrong, but I'm just it's just a, like you said, it's it time seems to soften these soften these blows. Speaking of time, uh, Antron Brown, I mean, let's be honest here. I, I think the guy's going to win the championship, Tony. I really do, and, and I don't know why anybody wouldn't think that. So tell me I'm wrong. Well, let me just make one more comment about Kevin. Kevin, now, <laughs> I, I do know the, I know the history because this is a subject that when I talk to Larry Miner, he doesn't like me talking about it. And, you know, we're just friends. <laughs> we are, but he doesn't like me talking about it because of 1983. So I know it's existed, and it doesn't only exist in, it's not limited to an HRA. Yeah. I mean, NASCAR has this problem. IndyCar, F1. So, you know, this is just what oh, we're going to stick, stick it, Stick in ball sports. You, you, you see yes. NBA teams playing second-tier rosters because they want the higher draft pick. Yeah, and referees. I mean, you can go down the list. No one is without their problems and their challenges, and we have ours. I only reference 09 because... It wasn't long after that that they plugged a rule into the rule book. So there was never a rule. And, you know, Force said, hey, they're my cars. I can do what I want. Well, there was a rule. In fact, I think the rule was put in place before that. And that's why that's why it was a problem. But I think the rule was plugged into the rule book in the mid-2000s. But there were a few of those. You know, you look at the, the Dodge Pro stock cars. There were there were a few big moments that, that kind of spurred, you know, the rule getting into place. But... Um, I'm, I'm down with you, Brian. I know that, um, you know, I've kind of, 
you know, I've been on the Doug Coletta train. I just, you know, I expected them to start showing results sooner, but here they are. And, you know, Austin Proc, he had a good race, but the tricky part of that is, is following up and being consistent. Antron got to the semifinals in Reading, um, but he looked good. He ran good. When you dip into the 69s, you, for a driver like that, that, it, that you can count on in the pressure cookers, when the, when the pressure's on, you can count on Antron Brown. There's only a couple of drivers like Antron. And then the rest of them, they're just kind of hit or miss. You know, there were some, we saw some that won multiple races and they were good, but they're not good all the time. And that's why, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to make a confession. I'm jumping on that train. I'm going to get on that <laughs> thing, but I'm not just jumping on it. It's, it, yeah. it constantly moves. It moves. And here's why. Here's why, because I saw this coming. Um, you know, Antron, Antron's always positive, you know, and I, I, I just remember this from looking into it. There's something to say about being positive, even when, even when you don't have the results, because I know your brain functions like 31% better when you, you have a positive take on everything. So, so this guy's pretty sharp. That's why I think he's good in the seat now. Now he was outpedaled in, in, um, in Reading and, and, and he, he took full responsibility, responsibility for that. And that doesn't happen that often. Once in a while, a driver will just get caught. Antron still has good car control. He can still drive a car when it breaks the tires loose. But they have entered a realm that that is why they should be taken seriously. Because Justin Ashley can't compete with Brittany Force. Because Brittany Force might run a 364 or 365, but Justin Ashley is going to run a 366. Okay, That puts him in striking range of her. And when Antron was running 372, 370, he was going some rounds, but I just didn't really see them as a legitimate contender. But then they dipped in and they ran a 69. I thought, wow, they're getting there. <laughs> then they ran a 68, and I thought they're closer. Like, they, they might be legit. But when they ran 67 in the final round, on the big stage, in the pressure cooker, um, both of them had, Justin actually didn't do anything wrong. No. A good reaction time. Antron was just better. So for that reason... I, I think I think and I still I still would take if I had to if you guys put me on the spot I would say Justin Ashley's in the driver's seat but Antoine Brown is the biggest threat and if Brittany Force has one good race then then this whole conversation will change. Do, do, do you guys do you guys remember uh, when we first started doing these podcasts earlier this summer uh, before the Western Swing and Brian asked both Tony and I the question uh, at the time. Tony Schumacher, Leah, and Antron were outside the top ten. And you said, number one, which one has the most potential and who needs it the worst? And I think the three of us concurred that Antron was the guy who really needed to kickstart his season. And and what he, what he has done since then has been nothing short of phenomenal. Oh, you're right. And it's and it's it, the thing that I, I find – so interesting about it is to, to, to Tony's point about the attitude. The attitude never changed. Maintained as difficult as it had to have been. Maintained a positive outlook, at least forward looking to us, you know, into our cameras. And I'm sure he did to a degree in the in the backside of things too. But he also never fell off at the starting line. And as many rounds as that team lost, and as sucky as they looked for a long time, and they did look sucky, um, it wasn't because he was getting whole shot out of places. I mean, they were either smoking the tires or getting outrun. So Kevin, to your point, I mean that dude, that dude hasn't changed a lick, but the car around him has changed, and and now it's just mm-hmm. it is phenomenal to watch. 
for, for, for sure. And, and, and uh, honestly, this is something I did not expect that we would be discussing. Um, the fact that all four of the championships are still very much up for grabs. You know, go, going into Charlotte, I really thought, you know, if Erica wins again, if Robert Height wins again, it's, you know, you could pretty much close the door. And obviously that didn't happen. Um, you know, it didn't happen in top fuel. You know, Brittany hasn't come out and run the table. So it, it is going to make the last four races, I think, pretty darn uh, dynamic to, to, to watch. I don't think any of these are going to be decided anytime soon. No, I agree. And the last, the last topic I want to hit with you guys in top fuel is a name you just brought up, Kevin, and that is Brittany Force. And we have seen, you know, two races, the car kind of come out from underneath or give or take. And we have seen, especially in um, in Charlotte, that top end interview. And uh, you know, if you're listening with your kids, put the earmuffs on here. But when she said we have to get we have to get this shit figured out, I thought to myself, "Whoa! Like that is a fiery woman who wants to actually win this." And not that I'd ever doubted it, but I think there are people that sit at home and doubt her want or desire. And it all came pouring out to me in that interview. No, I agree, and, and I think uh, if you look at the the, the one sort of ace in the hole that Brittany has that car is probably going to get the bulk of the qualifying bonus points. Uh, you know, it typically leads, you know, two of the three sessions qualifies, you know, one or two or third. Uh, so, you know, I think she has the ability here in the last four races to pick up a round or more that way. She's only 52 points behind this. This is nothing that a final round in St. Louis won't fix. Um, and uh, you know, I think that there's there comes a line where, as long as the championship is still very much in your own control, you, you probably look at it differently than, oh wow, I really need some help, and that team right now needs no help. They just need to take care of business under their own awning. Tony, well, I just I, I agree. I gave you the top three that I that I think at least at this point. But let me let me rattle off five five names that that could really mix it up. And that could that could really create some interference with these guys. Okay, Clay, okay, that car's running better. That car's running sixty eight now. Okay, um, Josh Hart, he ran at sixty six in Brainerd. You can't forget about that. Doug Collette is here, guys. Whether you like him or not, and I don't think that there's anybody that doesn't like him. Even fans, I bet he doesn't get the hate mail we get, Brian. <laughs> Doug <laughs> I Collette. bet you're right. <laughs> Doug, <laughs> Doug is here. Doug is here to stay. Steve just doesn't have the punch. That he has had, I bet, and I haven't averaged it out. I I've, I work a lot of numbers together, but but I can just tell you from from my feel of things that Steve Steve's car seems to be. If we took an average of, of successful runs down the track, his average is slower than it was last year and the year before. So while they're a couple of hundreds off, there have been about five or six guys that have all shown up and that are running at the, the numbers that it takes to win. Um, and then there's Austin Proc. You know, th- those those are five cars right there that are capable of running in the range that, like Funny Car, can beat you in the second round. So as good as Justin, as good as Antron and Brittany Force are, there's going to be a time or two that we're going to see them potentially get bounced in the second round. That's why this dynamic is going to go down to the last race with at least, at least three, maybe as many as five drivers. There you have it. Fellas, that was highly entertaining, and uh, I think we've got everybody up to speed on on really what has turned into just an incredible uh, series of events across all categories. And this weekend, uh, if everything stays the same, uh, re- what the weather forecast says, 7 o'clock qualifying on Friday night, you're going to see temperatures in the low 60s, maybe even high 50s. Um, 
it has all the potential to be absolutely ridiculous fast all weekend long. So, boys, thank you very much, as always, for taking the time, and I look forward to experiencing the madness uh, just across the river from the Archway this weekend. Thank you, guys. Once again, you have uh, extracted every bad thing in me, and uh, I will be... uh, I'll be uh, turning off my social media. Thanks. <laughs> uh, not, not, not me. I'm in this for the long haul. I, I want to see and, and read and, uh, you know, good, good, bad, or otherwise, uh, I, I want to hear it. So um, <laughs> if you've got feedback, bring it. You heard the man. If you got feedback, bring it. What a wild one that was. A great conversation between two guys who, uh, who are informed and aren't afraid to sling it when they feel like they need to sling it. This weekend in St. Louis, a worldwide technology raceway will be off the charts. You know, a lot of times we talk about races and you kind of try to figure out the profile of what they will be. And the last two weeks have developed the profile of this race. We know what this race will be because of the last two races we just came off of. And with these conditions, these these teams now for three weeks in a row have seen conditions that will allow them to get aggressive. And these teams will have no choice but to get aggressive. We have great car counts in the professional categories, specifically in top fuel. Got about 20 of them rolling in the gate. So that means there will be plenty of stuff to talk about in qualifying. Our FS1 coverage is um, our FS1 coverage is Sunday at 12.30 to 12.30 to 2. And then immediately following that, that qualifying show will be the elimination coverage kicking off at that point. So FS1 is the home for the TV coverage. You can watch all weekend on NHRA.TV. And uh, you do not want to miss this one because it could be, and I think will be, a defining championship race, both good and bad for many people. Will we see other will we see big names drop further back in the top ten? Absolutely we will. Nature of the business. Will we see lower teams kind of climb their way up a little bit closer? Absolutely we will. Who those names will be on either end of it? is up to be decided. Thanks for listening to this episode of the NHRA Insider Podcast. I'm Brian Loans, and it has been a pleasure to get you back up to speed in the countdown. I'll be back next week with a recap of St. Louis. We'll find out who succeeded, who failed, and who will go in to Dallas, Texas, a championship hopeful and perhaps a championship favorite.